we are a group of educators who are trying to deepen our understanding and make connections to the world. We're on the air every Sunday at noon, um, and we seek to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. And you can find us on Facebook um, at Indigo Radio. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests and not the radio station. So welcome to another Indigo Radio show. Um, my name is Nina Kunimoto, and I am a educator in the Spark Teacher Education Institute. Um, and I'm also a graduate student at University of Massachusetts in Boston. And so um, today our show is about um, the recent uh, unilateral decision by the soon-to-be Vermont State University um, to downgrade the NVU or Northern Vermont University's Johnson sports team from NCAA to USCAA and downgrading the Randolph and Williston sports teams to clubs. And I'll also talk a little bit about um, sort of the broader social trend um, where digitizing libraries and downsizing libraries, how that fits contextually and historically. Um, so we're, I'm going to start out uh, by looking at how changes in the sports teams impact students um, and students of color in particular. So for this show, I spoke with Winston Salisman Jr., um, who is an educator at the Brattleboro Union High School. He also played at Mount Ida, um, the uh, a basketball, I th believe it was Division III. Um, and it is now Newton College as part of the UMass um, uh, system, UMass Colleges. And um, he also coaches um, JV uh, basketball at the school, at the high school. And I also spoke with um, NVU Johnson student Chase Matlock about his views on um, these changes. Um, and he is a sophomore at NVU Johnson and also a Division Three basketball player. So um, here at Indigo Radio, we make connections with broader social issues. So towards the end, um, I'm going to take a look at the history of NCAA um, in relation to black players and access to education, um, looking at it historically. And then we'll um, look at the Vermont State University's decision in the context of a broader national trend of stripping and attacking public goods, right? Education and libraries, um, which are some of the few last holdouts of public institutions that belong to everyone in society. So, but we're going to ease into the topic with um, Bob Marley, Buffalo Soldier. Buffalo Soldier, dread like Rasta. It was a Buffalo Soldier in the heart of America.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP Brattleboro, your community radio station. Um, and today we are looking at Vermont State University's decision to downgrade and scale back their sports teams and libraries and how this impacts students um, within, within the Vermont State College system. So I'm going to um, start out by reading a statement um, that is on the website of the Progressive Party of Vermont, which states that removing NVU Johnson from the NCAA Division III sports is a social justice issue that disproportionately impacts our BIPOC students and staff. Many of our student athletes and coaches are people of color, we are concerned that we will lose our BIPOC athletes, coaches, and staff to other colleges. Diversity strengthens our campus and strengthens Vermont. The decision sends a message that the Vermont State College system does not value our BIPOC students and staff. And I'm also going to read um, a part uh, of a letter also that speaks to that, um, that comes from a, a social justice group. So the people who have demonstrated the most results in recruiting students of color to our campus have been our coaches. Although you say that there are other ways to build diversity on our campuses, the people who have been showing us that it is possible on the Johnson campus have been our coaches. We don't want to wait for diversity in the future. We want to retain the diversity we have now. Your decision removes a majority of the black and brown faces from our campus. Vermont is working hard to develop a more inclusive, anti-racist culture at the state level. Canceling athletics at Johnson will result in the loss of student athletes and athletic staff who are dedicate to dedicated to working with Vermont on this initiative. And this decision sends a message that the Vermont State College does not value its BIPOC students. So um, I think, you know, just looking at, at those messages, those really strong messages that are really speaking on behalf of students and students of color, you know, um, I think a lot of colleges talk about recruitment. We need to recruit more diversity, bring in more diversity. But really, the question becomes, how do we retain? How do we keep those students? And that is actually a bigger issue in most on most college campuses. So how do we retain on, on multiple fronts, not just with sports, but also with pedagogy in the classrooms and and attitudes on on the school campus and and all kinds of other um ways to keep students of color um feeling that they belong uh, where they are so um i'm gonna start out with an interview um with winston salisman jr um and he broke down um, the difference between NCAA and USCAA and what impacts that that might have. Um, and I'm just going to be straightforward that I am not coming from very much knowledge about sports. So, you know, this, the research that I've been doing around this topic has been exploratory. Um, and, you know, and here at Indigo Radio, we take sort of what's on the ground and really contextualize it historically and socially. So um, that is what I'm going to do. Uh, so let's hear what Winston has to say. On your table. All right. Um, so, uh, I guess to begin, I guess um, I'm, uh, I'm a student currently participating in the Spark Education Program. Um, I also work at Brattleboro Union High School um, as the Student Engagement Coordinator. I'm also uh, currently the JV basketball, boys basketball coach. Um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is our main topic for today. And I'm going to tell you, Winston, that I am 100% ignorant of sports. Um, I mean, I think like I'm more knowledgeable about sports than politics. 
and how that interplays, but like, you know, but especially about like college um, sports. And so like, even before going into like distinction between NCAA and USCAA, like tell me, and I'm sure there are listeners out there who would love to know, like, tell us about college sports and like, what's significant about it? How's it different? And why is it important? Yeah. Okay. Um, So college sports um, are athletic competitions that involve teams uh, from universities and colleges across the United States. Um, These teams, they, you know, they compete in various sports, whether it be basketball, football, uh, soccer, uh, tennis, uh, et cetera. Um, and it's divided into three divisions um, through the NCAA, uh, Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. And with um, Division One and Two, uh, there are certain, uh, there's a certain number of allotted scholarships uh, per team and some teams um, can only offer partial scholarships. Um, Division three is mainly grants and financial aid. Um, So uh, division one teams uh, typically are the most competitive um, and receive the most media attention, um, while division three generally compete at a they it, they compete competitively, um, but as far as media attention, they don't get a lot of that. Um, and it's very rare that someone from a Division three uh, school uh, would end up going pro, even though that's like the the percentage is very low anyway. It's even lower on the Division three level. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So. It'd be interesting to do another show. I mean, as I was, of course, researching about like college sports of, you know, the the exploitation that goes on, you know, but that that's another show, Winston. Yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> we can go deeper into that. Um, great. That that's that's helpful for, for me to, un- to understand because um the student that um Chase Matlock that I'm interviewing is in division three basketball. So now yeah. I understand what that means. Um so the, the um you know as you know the the various uh campuses or the Vermont state colleges is you is bringing together all the campuses and becoming one Vermont state university and so mm-hmm. one of the changes that they're making is that they're scaling back their i would say cutting the libraries um yeah. but that that's you know that issue and then the sports like they're scaling back and so for example the Johnson campus um, will transition from the NCAA National Collegiate Athletic Association to the United States Collegiate Athletic Association so what does that mean and I wonder if you could give a little background um you know of of the USCAA also because I don't quite understand it and what that means for that shift um, and and how might that impact students? Okay. Um, well, let's see. Um, so for the USC AA, um, it's very similar to the NCAA um, in uh, the fact that teams they they have to maintain eligibility standards. Uh, they have regulations, um, and the US. CAA uh, will have uh, postseason tournaments for teams uh, just like the NCAA. Um, However, uh, teams being a part of the US CAA, um, they have uh, more opportunities to compete against uh, similar size institutions um, because um with the NCAA um whether an institution is big or small um you know there there can be um uh, disadvantages as far as competition um 
you know, a bigger, larger school that plays against the smaller school has so much more advantages. Um, they can recruit um, uh, better skilled players. Um, they have more uh, fine financial um, resources um, in order to provide, you know, uh, better better facilities for training or um, just uh, as far as getting people in the door, charging for admissions and, um, you know, bringing um, financial rewards to those institutions. So the USCAA um, allows for uh, smaller uh, schools and institutions to, um, to compete against one another, which uh, should result in increased competition. Um, and uh, being a part of the USC AA uh, can provide uh, more resources as far as financial aid and scholarship opportunities for these smaller schools where for with the NCAA, a division three school, uh, cannot provide certain, cannot provide athletic scholarships. So. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. All these little things that, I mean, I definitely did not know. Um, yeah. And so my question is, um, you know, there's an argument by, you know, certain, by many within particularly Johnson and um, I think it was Vermont Tech where they're removing them from the, any any of these and making it into like club sports um how does the shift if at all do you think impact or might impact students of color um um well there's the shift um from ncaa to um us ncaa mm -hmm. uh you know, it, it could provide um, students of color with actually more opportunities to compete in college sports. Um, the USCAA um, is more focused on, you know, providing uh, more of a championship structure and recognition for smaller universities and colleges, um, where the um, these smaller universities and colleges actually have a greater number of, um, you know, students, student athletes of color. Um, so uh, also the USC AA uh, may provide more funding and resources, like I said before, for students of color, uh, such as scholarships, um, support services, financial aid, um, you know, and um it 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 would be equitable because um it it you know the smaller colleges and universities do provide like a, a lot more welcoming um environment for students of color uh gotcha. me myself um you know playing at a smaller college um I, I realized how much I wasn't just, you know, an athlete. I was actually a big member of the community. So, mm, okay. Is it okay to ask what college you went to? Yes. Um, I went to Mount Ida College. Um, wow. that right now, it is, uh, it's been, it's transitioned to the University of Massachusetts Newton oh. campus. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and that happened, I want to say maybe two or three years ago. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay, great. Um, and yeah, and I don't know if you, if you want to talk a little bit more broadly um, about, you know, about sports, um, you know, and students of color in particular, you know, are, are there any thoughts you have um, about that? just in general, in terms of, you know, admissions into college or, or even college experience? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so 
I feel like college sports have become such a important part of, you know, the culture in this country. Um, they provide opportunities for uh, students to gain skills, you know, experiences that, uh, and a platform uh, that, you know, to gain recognition and visibility. Um, they've made, you know, so many different changes to where um, student athletes now can actually make money from their brand, you know, um, uh, where years past uh, student athletes could not make any uh, money if they worked a job uh, while having a scholarship, they couldn't make more than a certain amount per year, or they'd be at risk of losing that scholarship. Right. Um, you know, uh, but college sports, you know, provide <laughs> they provide a, a source of entertainment that ends up, you know, creating millions of dollars for certain <laughs> institutions. You know, right, so, right, um, right. But and is that both like I mean, even and I imagine NCAA does, but would USCAA also does that also provide um, millions of dollars for institutions? Well, it's uh, right now. It's for me. I think it's too early to to uh, compare. Um, only because their focus is on the smaller institutions. Mm, gotcha. um, so depending on how um, the USCAA uh, markets, because the NCAA, uh, they market billions of dollars, you know, and they have uh, contracts with a lot of um, uh, sport networks, you know, mm -hmm. um, not even sport, just sports networks, but uh, there are, you know, college conferences um, mm -hmm. like the Atlantic, uh, uh, Atlantic, uh, there, there's so many different, sorry. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many different athletic conferences that end up having their own networks that mm. create that generate uh billions of dollars for these schools that are uh affiliated with these conferences mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so uh i'm I, i'm uncertain on how the usc AA will will incorporate something like that right 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 yeah. but, but it's but I imagine the institution makes the money, but not the players. <laughs> Correct. And, and with, uh, I haven't, um, I don't have all of the, the uh, information on the USC AA to know whether or not they will allow for their, you know, uh, student athletes to be able to, uh, to have monetary gains based on mm. their brands, the way uh, the NCAA does it. Um, right. But, right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us about sports or? Well, I was just going to say uh, with like on a broader social level that mm -hmm. like uh, college sports now have, you know, created a platform for student athletes to, you know, fight for, you know, social justice. Mm. They could have, um, you know, their say in political activism mm -hmm. um, and also advocate for changes, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be um, to, you know, for bringing attention to social issues. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. college sports have grown a lot over uh, over decades. And right now, it looks like we're in a good position uh, to create, you know, social change. So. Right. So I, I imagine, are, are you a big college sports fan? <laughs> yes, I am. You yes, are. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what teams do you support? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> um, 
I wish I could still support my alma mater, but uh, but being absorbed by um, the University of Massachusetts, they no longer uh, the Mount I, the Newton campus does not mm-hmm. have a sports team. Um, but I do root for uh, Michigan University football and Duke University basketball. So gotcha. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, this was when I was um, student teaching. I mean, just to be part of the you know, teacher community, I yeah. did do brackets. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know anything about these teams. I'll pick this one and this one. <laughs> yeah, and, and those are right around the corner. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEW, LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And that was an interview that I did with um, Winston Salisman on um, just college sports in general um, and to understand college sports a little better. Um, just, a, you know, a couple of things that um, that I wanted to to point out um, and that I'll speak to in the the second part is um, he had said towards the end that, you know, that sports, college sports have become a platform for athletes um, to make a statement, right? To make a social justice statement. Um, And so I'll, I'll dig a little deeper into that um, in, in sort of the second part. Um, But I also, so Winston um, pointed out, you know, sort of the difference between NCAA, and I believe that um, the Supreme Court has made made a decision that um, NCAA players can, and I think that's what he was trying to say, um, is that the players in the NCAA can, um, something about branding, like they can make money um, off of branding. Um, and he's and he's not sure, and I'm not sure either. I don't think it's possible in the USCAA. Um, but he also um, mentioned that USCAA could provide more um, scholarship opportunities um, for for students of color because, and I'll go into the history of, of the NCAA and, um, and black players in the next segment, um, you know, and, and why is it that we have the NCAA, um, in particular. So, um, what I would like to do now is play an interview, um, with my second guest who, um, couldn't call in today. And, um, he is a sophomore at um, NVU or Northern Vermont University at Johnson, and he is um, a basketball player in Division Three NCAA. And um, and I apologize, my when I recorded uh, my Zoom uh, didn't work for some reason, so it was I called him and I recorded. <laughs> so it's when he speaks, it sounds a little bit low, but. We can still understand him and hear him. So here is Chase Matlock responding to um, the downgrading of um, the sports teams, specifically at Johnson, um, NVU Johnson, from NCAA to USCAA. I mean, my, my take on it is just like, Everybody wants to be an NCAA athlete, so it's like if we go down to the USCA, it won't give us the opportunity and the experience as everyone else that is an NCAA athlete. What are some of the things like that you get as as a player in the NCAA that you wouldn't in a USCAA? Uh, I say the things that we get is like the ex- more experience and the opportunities that they offer. And just being around like a good community, a good round of coaches, people, wherever you go to college at. And then the USCA just kind of take away a few of those sports that doesn't, that the NCAA offers, that the USCAA doesn't. What's your reaction to the Vermont State University essentially sort of downgrading from, from NCAA to, to NCAA? Uh, it was very much a shock to all student athletes, including myself. But we all came here to be NCAA athletes, not to be 
nothing nothing less. So it's kind of going to affect like the missions and all the student athletes that mostly come here for the sports, not just to become a student. About the potential impact um, on students of color. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think most of like the students of color just try to get an education, be surrounded by good student staff, faculty, even coaches to make sure that they get the education that they need, great work opportunities, and uh, just to make sure they graduate and get a uh, college degree. And does does the does the sort of I guess the downgrading from NCAA to USCAA impact students of color disproportionately or adversely in in your view? And it, it definitely impacts the student of color huge because most of us come here not to just be students. Most of us come here because we're athletes. Some of us came out of state, out of our way to come all the way to Vermont to just play the sport that we love. Got it. Okay. Um, And so if you were to, you know, sort of have a demand, right, like that you would like the Vermont, the Vermont State University to do this, what is it that you would like them to do at this point? I would like them to keep us in the NCAA because if we go down to the USCAA, it's going to take away a few sports that we already have here and that are winning. So like, the USCAA has seven men's sports and six women's sports, which means there will be less championship opportunities. Where in the NCAA, it's even 13 to 13. So if we, if we go down, we will lose men's volleyball, men and women's tennis, uh, and women's triathlon. Got it. Um. And is there anything else that you want to share with us um, that I haven't asked? Uh, I'm just hoping that our board just looks at the progress that we made over the past two years and that we can be able to uh, stay at NCAA school and keep us, keep us open where they don't have to cut any of our sports. Welcome back. Um, That was Chase Matlock, um, sophomore at Northern Vermont University, NVU, Johnson campus, um, telling us what he thinks about uh, the decision of of the soon-to-be Vermont State University. They'll become one big university on July 1st. Um, Their decision to cut down on and and in some cases in um, Randolph, which I believe is Vermont Tech, that they're they're essentially cutting it um, to into a club sports, um, and you know some of the things to to think about when it does get cut down to a club sports is you know what who ends up paying for the equipment who ends up paying for the transportation so you know whose whose shoulders does that fall on, um, and I in the next segment you know I. You know, there's this balance, you know, and, and Chase also pointed this out in the very beginning. He said, you know, we're we're just here to get we are here to get an education. We did come as athletes. But I also want to give a little historical background um, on what the NCAA is um, and um, and some critiques of the NCAA. Um, but I also will talk about, you know, how athletes more recently have um, have used their platform to really um, advocate for themselves and to make changes. So we'll, we'll get into that in the next segment, but I would like to take a break. Um, and we're going to listen to a song by Masego featuring J.I.D. and Rhapsody, Something Ain't Right. Wait a minute, something ain't right. The 
the corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up, wait a minute, somewhere right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Uh, look, and as I lay me, as I lay me, that me down to rest. I lay my sword, my lady lays upon my chest. It's been a crazy war. The devil's banging on my door, my dear, my dear, my dear. I hear the shots ring, lay on the floor. I don't fear anyone but the maker. Cause we could never murder hate, but can murder a hater. What's a more American way than trying to give them a taste of their own medicine? Prevalent ethnic rebels, the revolution of melanin. Bust to move to the ghetto, we must improve the development. Brought some food for the fellowship. Got the news on my brethren. Call the goons in the government. Come correct the corruption. Break the racial construction. Building up in the spirit of liberation. Give me life or I'ma take it. That's my human right. Universally, you and I, we could be unified. But when you speak the truth beyond your youth, they want you euthanized. Creeping through the night, is something moving right? Hold up, wait a minute, and shoulders. Tell me right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up, wait a minute, tell me right. The corruption has moved in view of my eyesight. Hold up, watch over me and my body, man. Trouble all around, can't trust nobody, man. Devil on my heels, and they all wanna cross me. Loyalty to God and my loyalty. Always lying on us to the cameraman. Death all around, pray we never light a candle. Knowing somebody gotta die for our freedom. Know they plotting on me, echo sounds of the battle. Ain't nobody I fear, I'm ready. Watch my back while I press on steady. Lord, my gun, full clip, no hiss. The government depicts the deceit like a levy. Flood thy hood with the blood of the soldier. Poor black men look over thy shoulder. Co Pro got the target on me. But we don't stand down to the people all free screaming hold up wait a minute tell me right the corruption has moved in view of my eyesight hold up wait a minute now i want to fight the corruption has moved in view and i and i and i can't let you get away Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. That was Masego featuring J.I.D. and Rhapsody, Something Ain't Right. And it was featured in the film Judas and the Black Messiah about Fred Hampton. Um, so today we're talking about sports and specifically college sports um and as I mentioned at the top of the show I am not an expert on sports I'm gonna be upfront and say I'm not even a fan of sports but I do I have done shows in the past um about sports and politics um and someone mentioned to me um in conversation that you know sports is an interesting sort of frame or lens to to look at what's going on in the broader society um so in this this next segment we're going to talk about um sports as a new plantation um and that was um it was coined i don't know if it was coined by uh this author um but he argues that college sports um, is the the new plantation, meaning that um, college sports is predominantly, um, the athletes are predominantly black players and they are laboring essentially, right? Um, to make money and profit for um, the institution or um the CEOs, if it's a company, um, coaches, etc. So um, the first thing to understand is the NCAA was created initially as um, it was a nonprofit. I think it's still a nonprofit. And initially its main focus was um, to get students of color 
into predominantly white institutions um, by providing scholarships. And so it really forefronted education. And so I'm just going to kind of share some information that I learned about, um, about NCAA and its history. Um, first off, you know, the NCAA, I think this past year made $8.3 billion. Um, and the players see very little of that. Um, and I also had said earlier that, you know, the Supreme Court made a decision where now athletes in the NCAA can um, make money off of brands. Um, but, you know, they, the NCAA itself is really profit-driven. Um, so, and that money hardly goes into the pockets of um, the athletes and predominantly black athletes who, um, who are generating that profit, that $8.3 billion. So... Um, NCAA was uh, built on the foundational racial inequities of American society and higher education. So white colonizers and later Americans established the first universities um, in the U.S. on land stolen from indigenous peoples and built and paid for these institutions using the exploited labor of and profits extracted from enslaved people. So American racial capitalism permeated the structure of higher education from the 1600s on. So to really grasp the foundation of, of higher education in the first place, um, though historically black universities and colleges, um, HBCUs, served as the predominant places of university city instructions and athletic success for black people due to racial segregation, White-dominated state legislatures sought ways to reform and maintain their racial control over higher education when racial segregation was outlawed in the post-war era. So when schools were desegregating, right, um, white-dominated institutions wanted to maintain control. Um, and so generous state funding for predominantly white institutions and their athletic departments, in contrast to um, historically black colleges and universities, became an avenue to legally reshape the plantation system, seeking to boost their athletic success and prestige. Um, predominantly white institutions lured black athletes away from historically black colleges and universities with scholarships and better facilities than HBCUs could offer. So the author, Hawkins, um, he, he wrote a book um, that shows how the racialized organization of the NCAA created a system of internal colonization where the dominant group of predominantly white institutions became the colonizers who bought, quote, black athletes for their exploitative plantation system. And the big colleges wielded the disciplinary cudgel of amateurism to prevent black and brown athletes from monetizing their labor through the specious goals of protecting them from exploitation. Um, and so I, that you can find the rest of that article on the guardian. Um, and I'll link it on our social media sites. Um, but essentially, right. They de in some ways defunded, um, money from the historically black colleges universities and diverted it to predominantly white institutions um really maintaining control of exploitation so i'm gonna play a clip um from uh abanpour and company um how college football exploits athletes um but also i think uh, dave zirin is one of the speakers here um he also talks about how students recently in the COVID era have pushed back um, and really used their um, organizing power to, to really uh, meet their needs. Now, sports has been sideswiped by COVID. Could the pandemic cancel American college football? 
Well, the Big Ten, Pac-12 and Mountain West are the big college football conferences pulling their teams this fall. Sports writer Dave Zirin and retired NFL defensive end and activist Michael Bennett co-authored Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. Here's our Hari Srinivasan talking to them about collegiate athletes being empowered by the Black Lives Matter movement and demanding their safety against COVID with the hashtag We Are United and We Want to Play. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, Dave and Michael, for joining me. Uh, this seems like an intersection of so many things that are happening at this moment. We've got student athletes, their long-term struggles. We've got a pandemic. We've got uh, Black Lives Matter. We've got restarting schools. And that's part of why we wanted to have this conversation with you, because what is happening with college football seems to give us a gateway into so many other interesting things. So let me start with this about college football. Dave, have you ever seen anything like this where students successfully advocated on their own behalf in such a public way um, where in a matter of weeks, we actually saw action that would impact their lives and their collegiate careers? No, I mean, you'd have to go back to the late 1960s when you had a period called the Revolt of the Black Athlete, uh, when a lot of black student athletes, as they're called, although I have problems with the phrase student athlete, as we can discuss, but a lot of them organized themselves against uh, racist coaches, against uh, not having any black cheerleaders, against uh, not being able to choose their own classes. I mean, there was a wave of that in the late 60s and early 70s by athletes who were empowered by the black freedom struggle. And I think that's the reflection you see now today. A lot of these athletes feel empowered by the Black Lives Matter movement to actually uh, speak out on their own behalf. And it's not, so it's not just the pandemic, it's seeing people in the streets call out for racial justice, has them applying that to their own lives. Michael, I want you to take us back if you could. When you were playing at Texas A&M, could you imagine a moment where students would just say, listen, I want scholarship protection. I want the costs of the Medicare, the medical care associated with this pandemic paid for. You know, I am not just your entertainment. I'm a human being. I mean, has this power dynamic shifted in just the short time between when you were in school and today? Um, no, I, I couldn't imagine. I feel like before there was a lot of uh, fear. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. We didn't have that um, that moment, that climax moment to push everybody over the edge. There was a lot of quietness and, and it was, people were subjugated to a lot of things. And I think looking back, I, I don't think we had the courage to be able to collectively um, unionize almost in a sense um, and really ask for what we really wanted, knowing that we were the product, knowing that we were the ones who were bringing the income into the school and, and knowing the things that we face when you come into us, as Dave was talking about, the being able to select your class and not being pushed into a certain way and to see that finally they're coming together as a whole and challenging the NCAA on its status and, and knowing how it's been um, being able to benefit and profit off of young amateur athletes and not allowing them to make any income and knowing that they have all, all, all almost, you know, put them in a situation where they had to deal with, you know, pain and, and on their whole life and the continuation after they finished with uh, with the sport. I think any contract that you sign in perpetuity is a dangerous contract. Dave, there were two separate hashtags that seemed to merge. And in a way, these students accomplished something that the rest of the country has not. There was the we are united hashtag and then there was the we want to play. And for a while, those were almost wedged against each other. Uh, walk us through what happened. Sure. Two of the big five conferences have now said, uh, we are not going to be playing football this far, uh, this, this fall. And what that did was it agitated a lot of the athletes who were saying, we need to unite, we need to unionize, we need to have a say in our health care, we need to have a say in how we're treated during this pandemic. Uh, you know, that, that shifted. And they started to say, like, well, wait a minute, we actually do want to play, though. We just want to be able to have a say in how this playing comes about. The problem, though, is that they don't have a players association. The problem is that there is no centralized united leadership like a commissioner like you have in the NFL or the NBA. And so there's no real way 
to organize and get what these college athletes so obviously deserve. So instead, what you had was different conferences backbiting against each other, uh, different uh, medical experts people were turning to at different times, like saying what they necessarily wanted to hear about whether to open or not open. You had a lot of lawyers involved on the question of liability. And before you knew it, you had a good portion of the college football season, as of this recording, just completely up in smoke. Uh, Michael, Welcome back. Um, you're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP. And um, that was um, just Dave Zirin and uh, Michael Bennett being interviewed by um, Hari Srinivasan on PBS. And I'll put the link to that on our social media. Um, and, and I want to sort of go back to Chase student chase matlock you know and also the many other students that that i've been listening to um in different venues this past week and you know they've really been um voicing their concerns and um they've been like demanding um what they want right in 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 the situation um they were not consulted in this decision um to downgrade the sports and so um i think that it's really important to to hear what students have to say but also to understand that students do have can make a difference um when they come together um as a unifying voice um but going back to you know um through the ncaa you know, and its focus shifting from it being education-driven to being more profit-driven, um, I think that it's important to remember that, you know, sports has been one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways um, in this racialized society that students of color have had access to higher education. Um, and so I think it's important um, to, to hear what students have to say on this and um, and to keep keep it open keep that channel open for students of color to enter higher education um, but also at the same time be really thinking about um, the exploit exploitation um, of the the system itself um, so um, I want us to sort of shift a little bit because you know there was it wasn't just the sports downgrading but it was also um digitizing the library um and i just kind of want to contextualize the decision by the university in in even a broader context um so you know public goods such as libraries public education public housing or any public service that supports people in a system where profit accumulation requires poverty has been under attack for quite some time. Um, and the view is that public services, right? So the, the view or the attitude or, or sort of the, the way it's framed and thought about in the U.S., right, is public services are entitlements and that it's an, some kind of an extra expense um, that society has to pay for rather than it being a right like public housing or health or education um, for everyone. So um, cuts, right, any cuts to public goods is going to hurt um, ordinary people and ordinary working people. Um, you know, and, and another interesting phenomena that we're seeing, you know, in terms of like shifting a bit from sports to the library is this kind of on-demand economy um, where the labor, right, the work done is shifted from a paid wage laborer or salaried employee to the consumer, right? So, for example, we see this, we've been seeing this shift for quite some time for the past few years in supermarkets, like with self-checkout services, um, or consumers are using their own resources, right, as part of their labor. For example, working remotely, most people use their own computers, their own supplies. Uber and Lyft drivers use their own cars. So there's a lot of shifting of, um, I will say, production costs onto um what would normally be the consumer. Um, 
you know, so the cost of shifting from corporations and institutions to the consumers. And in the case of you know, digitizing the library or playing club sports, right? Those costs um, are going to shift to the students and their families, that labor, right? The labor to um, to use their own computer. And, and if they even have access to that computer, um, you know, th there is definitely, especially in Vermont, an inequitable access to um, Wi-Fi and to... Um, to just digital, you know, hardware. So I think it's really important to think about this in a broader context um, to help us understand our, our situation here in Vermont. Um, so I'm going to go out with a song by one of my favorite uh, duo performers, Climbing Poetry. Um and they, it's a spoken word kind of with four people um, called Who Decides. And um, Indigo Radio will be back next week um, at 1 o'clock on WVEW 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And all of the views and opinions expressed on this show and program are those of the host and guests and not the radio station. Um, and we hope to see you again next week. And you can find us on um, SoundCloud. Um, you can find us on iTunes podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So thank you very much. Next track to the meek and to the many, many ancestors who have been born too soon from state-sanctioned violence. We honor you and we commit to creating a world where we are safe to walk and breathe and love in all colors. Not again. Not again. Eric Garner, father of six, choked to death for slinging loose untaxed cigarettes by tax-employed murderers found not guilty for stealing the breath of a man they're supposed to serve and protect. I have the nerve to suspect the system's depraved by design. Look who's on paid leave and look who's serving time. What's considered a casualty was unforgivable crime. Who acquitted for death? Black sentenced to life. Who decides who's dangerous enough to die? Who decides who's dangerous enough to die? Who decides who's dangerous enough to die? Every single life is significant. A right to breathe is legitimate. Who are you to judge who's worthy of love? A cold blood, my sister's innocent. Her black life mattered, but you ended it. You illiterate to the magnificence. And scripted on her face, couldn't read the story of her greatness. Everyone she touched in all the places. Blink of her eye, you pull the trigger, now just blankness. It's shameless, no penalty, no remedy, it's heinous. It was legal to enslave us, now it's legal to erase us. From slave ships to cages to PDs training racists And now we out of patience Now we out of patience If you see something, say something If you see something, say something I've seen a whole lot of blood on the hands of the state So I'm saying something, do something, agitate They shot 19-year-old college student Kendrick McDade That's in the lead on the street receiving no first aid Oscar Grant lay face down on the platform train Killed colds in a bit of chill on New Year's Day Alonzo killed by Taser for his extraordinary strength Shumbel assassinated on his wedding day By the same state station, uniform gang that blew away 16-year-old Kamani Gray Say her name, say her name, say her name Avet Smith, Kayla Moore, Denisha Harris, Ayanna Jones, Shadow Davis, Alicia Thomas, Shelley Frey, Michelle Cazot. Subsequent coincidence, the cops killed without consequence. Not convicted, plot depicted like an accident. The little cops acquitted, all predicted, law enforcement contradicted, head was lifted, black and gifted, beautiful, and dangerous enough to die. Who decides who's dangerous enough to die? Who decides? Enough to die. Cause it don't matter. It don't
Don't matter if our street smarts are mathematical, dark skin galactical, this here is Earth. And we are chess pieces in a violence so systematical. It's remarkable when from the margins we grow dialectical. Cause it don't matter if her name is Sharice or his name is Michael. Every 28 hours the police carves out their cycle. From a history so rooted in hate, you can trace back the ones who found God in Sunday lynching revivals. Survival has always been a covert operation. Seeking freedom has always been encoded songs that move the congregation. Rooted in desperation, freedom is a map sung past the master's wife's plantation. Divination foretold this moment. So did the ones with an unwavering unrest who saw no need for postponement and carved out the blues from a pain so deep. It was a transatlantic hybrid of a mutation that well through jazz, found love in soul, sweated out through funk, kicked and burned through rock and roll until hip hop became its latest incarnation. Love is power.